0: Welcome to Truth in Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. There have been several recent Supreme Court decisions that involve the Catholic faith and our religious institutions. Some were good news and some were bad news. We covered two of those decisions on the June 24th episode, but this week, Bishop breaks down the rest. The decisions covered abortion, contraception coverage offered by employers, Catholic schools, and Blaine amendments. The show wraps up with Bishop answering questions submitted from listeners on giving our time, talent, and treasure, plus a Catholic response to anxiety, whether or not we should capitalize pronouns for God, and more. To submit your question for a future episode, go to RedeemerRadio.com slash askbishop. You'll get an email letting you know your question has been received and another letting you know when your question will air.
1: Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our good Bishop. Thanks again for joining us, Bishop. You're welcome. How are you doing, Kyle? I'm doing well. Today, one of the things we're going to talk about is Supreme Court. And uh, we've talked about this in the past, but there's been some new things. So we're kind of a part two, maybe, if you will. And so I thought maybe I could start with a trivia question about the Supreme Court. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> How many Supreme Court justices have appeared on U.S. currency? Zero. Zero. Actually, there's been two. Really? But probably not very popular currencies. John Marshall was on the $500 bill, and Salmon P. Chase was on the $10,000 bill. Neither bill is in circulation today. Oh, well, okay. Uh, thank you for that.
2: That is very interesting. But if anybody
1: has one of these bills and would like to get rid of it,
2: uh, you could drop it by Redeemer Radio. We'll, we'll, uh, or the put it to good use. annual bishop's appeal, the, there you the, go, especially just, those $10,000. Yeah, the, yeah. $10, <laughs> did, did, um, now, the, the old Salmon P. Chase bills. I wonder what they're worth. They're probably worth more than $10,000. I would think so, yeah. Yeah. Their collector's no, items. That's really good. That's, I love this trivia. There Thanks, Kyle. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So do you have a, a prayer for us today? Why don't we pray the Angelus? Sure. Okay. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary. And she conceived of the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour
1: of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy
2: of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ, our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
1: All right. Well, as I mentioned, we talked about religious freedom and Supreme Court decisions on the... June 24th episode uh, but on July 8th you released a statement Bishop it's available on the diocesan website if you go to org slash bishop dash statements you can read it there and there's been a lot coming out from the Supreme Court that involves our faith involves uh, things that we, as Catholics are very passionate about, including immigration, including pro-life issues. Uh, maybe I don't know if you want to start first talking about the yeah.
2: abortion decision. Yeah, you know this was really an impactful um, session and decisions. I mean, I'd say six of the decisions, especially, were really important to us, mm-hmm. which is unusual to have that many in in one year, right. One, a year session of the of the Supreme Court, and as you mentioned, we've talked about a couple of these already, and some of them were good news for us, some of them were bad news. Right? You mentioned the decision on abortion was was definitely bad news for us, and bad news for our country. Sure. Um, because you know there's this grave injustice of abortion of uh, Roe v. Wade that denied the fundamental right to life of the unborn this continues in our country with legal abortion. So the decision on June 29th was very uh, disappointing. It struck down a Louisiana law that required doctors who perform abortions to have admitting privileges at nearby hospitals, which really one of the reasons for that is, is the health of the women, uh, of the mothers. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a 5-4 decision. We see a lot of these. What was especially mm-hmm. disappointing to many of us was that Chief Justice John Roberts was one of the five. And we normally think of him as, um, as pro-life in his views. Um, and it's interesting why he sided with the other four. You know, four years ago, there was another decision very similar in Texas. And right. when that decision... Was handed down, which was the same thing about requiring doctors to have admitting privileges at a uh, uh, at a hospital. Roberts uh, was on the right side, um, hmm. so we were expecting that uh, the the chief justice would continue what he he had de- done before, but he used the legal doctrine of stare decisis which obligates courts to follow the precedent of similar cases unless there's, you know, special circumstances. Hmm. That was very unfortunate. There's a very good article that we have by uh, Professor Rick Garnett from Notre Dame Law School in the July 12th issue of Today's Catholic, where he wrote a criticism of um, this decision of the Supreme Court and especially Chief Justice John Roberts. You know, siding with um, with the court's decision, the key point that the chief justice made had to do with that doctrine of stare decisis, where you have to treat like cases alike, absent special circumstances. And clearly, Professor Garnett said that's a useful doctrine. It's appropriate because you know you need stability in the law. You can't be going from one you know, and you don't want judicial. Or arbitrariness or partisanship you know so you shouldn't have all these twists and turns in supreme court decisions so roberts cited that you know this respect for precedent and that's why he was in favor of invalidating the louisiana law but what professor garnett says is really helpful is that stare decisis is not an absolute rule that every justice at one time or another has voted to abandon an earlier case. It's good that we have settled law, but sometimes there are errors that need to be corrected. And that's what was the case here. I mean, this was an error that needed to be corrected. And that earlier Texas case basically was wrongly decided. It should have been discarded. So, you know, we were disappointed with uh, the chief justices siding with that. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the justices who, who dissented, you know, like Justice Alito, who, who Samuel Alito, said this is really just part of a long string of cases in which there continues to be this abortion rights being recognized. And any kind time a, a state seeks to legislate to limit abortion or whatever, oftentimes gets uh, down, mm-hmm. struck down, struck down. Justice Clarence Thomas, basically, I, I think his opinion that he wrote is really helpful. He says, you know, he talked about the, the, the states should have the ability to regulate or even to prohibit abortion. And basically, he's going back and said this. The problem goes back to Roe v. Wade, that that was wrongly decided. And maybe someday we, there will be a, a look again at, at uh, Roe v. Wade. Mm-hmm. Um because that's where all this began. Um, we just have to keep persevering. We shouldn't give up. You know, from the beginning, Roe v. Wade really did, did violence to the Constitution and uh, was a tragic decision. And, you know, we see these other decisions kind of following that path. So, so we continue to pray, We continue to hope. I'm not a, a legal scholar, but if you really study the case, there's a very good article by Professor Carter Sneed, also from Notre Dame, where, where he um, kind of looks at some of the arguments that, that the chief justice made in this case and says that, you know, he did leave a door open uh, mm. for the future. So I'm hoping, uh, I don't think we should ever lose hope when there are setbacks like this.
1: And this case is an interesting one to me because it's not technically putting restrictions on abortions to ask people to have these admitting privileges to hospitals. It's just saying that if you're going to be performing abortions, let's make sure that we put the health and safety of the woman at a priority. And sometimes things go wrong. Now as Catholics, we would say always things go wrong because you're killing an innocent life. But from a pro-abortion standpoint where you say there's nothing wrong with that, we're just saying, well, let's let's make sure that the woman doesn't have health complications. And if there is that there's a backup plan. So in, in a way, it's not putting restrictions on these abortion clinics. It's just asking them to have high standards,
2: I guess, of, of care, quote unquote I, care. I agree with you. I mean, the reason. Justice Breyer, who wrote the majority opinion, said the Louisiana law was unconstitutional, he said, because it posed a substantial obstacle for women seeking abortions while providing no significant health-related benefits. (laughs) And I definitely think that could be rebutted, and I think for him to say this wasn't Necessary to protect women's health. I, I don't know. I mean, it just seems um, far fetched to me. I mean, we know women who have had health sure. complications. Yeah, I agree with you, Kyle.
1: All right, well, just a reminder, you can go back to the June 24th episode to hear about Bishop talking about the DACA decision, as well as the redefinition of sex and its application to employment discrimination. Uh, Coming up, we'll talk about a few of the other decisions, including the Little Sisters of the Poor and uh, also that uh, religious institutions can, can hire based off of their ability to teach and live the faith so that'll be coming up right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop talking about the recent Supreme Court decisions. I uh, talked about the abortion decision uh, based off of the Louisiana case, but there's several more to to address that impact The church and especially some of our institutions, religious institutions.
2: Yeah, you know this was uh, very good news regarding religious liberty. Mm -hmm. Um, And what surprised me was the decision was seven to two. So we had a few who normally wouldn't be on our side on this on these kinds of issues who who were. Uh, The only two dissenting uh, votes were. Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Justice Sonia Sotomayor. Basically, the Supreme Court upheld the regulations by the Trump administration, giving employers more ability to opt out of providing contraceptive coverage in their health plans. The decision was written by Justice Clarence Thomas, and he said that the administration did have the authority to provide exemptions from the regulatory contraceptive requirements for employees w- with religious and conscientious objections. You know, we've said from the very beginning, I mean, the U.S. bishops, we've been fighting this contraceptive mandate, and we've been saying contraception is not health care. The government shouldn't mandate employers providing it. We fought this for, for years now, unfortunately, you know, the reason we've had to continue fighting it is we continue to get challenged Uh, and the poor little sisters of the poor have been especially at the center of this and what a wonderful community of women religious who care for the elderly poor, but they rightly wouldn't um, provide contraception in Mm -hmm. their health care plans. So the rule change that came about from the Trump administration was challenged in Pennsylvania and New Jersey, I believe, and and that's why it ended up going to the Supreme Court. Now with this exemption, um, it's not just the Little Sisters of the Poor, as you mentioned, Kyle, it's also a lot of our other Catholic institutions. So we really were overjoyed at this decision. The Little Sisters of the Poor just wanted to protect their right to serve the elderly without violating their faith. Mm-hmm. I hope this is behind us. I hope there's no more challenges. We don't want to include contraceptive coverage in our employee health plans, and uh, the government, you know, has no right to insist we do. It violates our religious freedom. And uh, so, anyhow, I, I really do rejoice as in this uh, in this decision. It's important also the Religious Freedom Restoration Act back in the 1990s, which says that government should not substantially burden religious exercise without compelling justification. That's such an important law of our nation. And uh, I'm not saying I don't think we're going to still have uh, challenges to our religious freedom, but this is good news for religious liberty. Yeah. Speaking of religious liberty,
1: there is also the decision that favored in the case with two Catholic schools in California, their rights to employ teachers who model the faith, which has obviously been something that's very important to us for our Catholic churches and our Catholic schools, that the people that are leading are also not just teaching the faith, but also living the faith. And there's now a precedent set that the schools can do that, can employ people that would live out the faith. This seems to be potentially... In conflict with the decision that we talked about a couple weeks ago, that you you couldn't discriminate employing people based off of things, well, redefining what sex means, including same-sex attraction and gender dysphoria. Those two things could be in conflict with living and teaching the faith. Do you, do you yeah. see this as kind of a, a problem down the road here?
2: Well, yeah, I think there well, there will be lawsuits, yeah. I'm sure, so we'll see. But um, but I think this was good news, and, and the fact that the uh, California Catholic schools can't be sued, couldn't be sued for job discrimination in firing teachers, you know, I'm hoping that that principle uh, will will follow through on, on these other lawsuits that will undoubtedly come if uh, Catholic school doesn't hire or lets go of someone who, for example, enters into a same-sex marriage mm-hmm. um, or sex reassignment surgery. But that remains to be seen. But this mm-hmm. was definitely very good news. And again, it was a 7-2 ruling, which, uh, again, that really surprised me. I mean, that was uh, very positive. It's a victory for religious liberty that we... We have the right, we need to have the right to to choose teachers mm-hmm. who are going to teach and model the Catholic faith. And we the government should not interfere in that. This is a right of Catholic schools and other religious schools. Sure. Um, what's interesting is you say, well, wasn't this already decided in the Hosanna Tabor case, you know, some years ago, back in 2012? If you recall, there was a teacher at a Lutheran school in Michigan and said she was fired for pursuing an employment discrimination claim based on a disability. And in the ruling back then, the court said the ministerial exception to anti-discrimination laws meant that religious organizations couldn't be sued for firing an employee classified as a minister. Hmm. So the, the problem with that, I mean, that was a great decision. But the problem is, what's a minister? Right. And we don't call our Catholic, I mean, normally we don't call our Catholic school teachers ministers. Right. But, you know, so that term became a source of disagreement. Mm-hmm. So then you have these cases saying, well, no, these aren't ministers. You have to, to be a minister, you either have to be ordained or you have had have some kind of uh, particular role, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And what's good about this d- new decision is that. Even if a t- teacher doesn't have that title of minister uh, and maybe doesn't have a lot of religious training, they're still in, have a role in the formation of our students. I mean, that's why we have our Catholic schools. We want our teachers to be, um, to communicate the truths of our faith and to set good example and witness to the faith. Uh, so we should have the right to select and supervise the teachers that we rely on, who we rely on to do to do our mission. Right? They don't have to have a title of minister. Um, so we should be able to have the freedom to make our internal decisions on something like this, the First Amendment um, and uh, of the Constitution. And when you think about the important role our religious schools, our Catholic schools have, we can't do our mission if we don't have the freedom to hire or to terminate teachers uh, in light of our faith, mm-hmm. in light of uh, fidelity to the mission. So anyhow, um, yeah, this was, this was really good news. And um, it was not only a reaffirmation of the Hosanna-Tabor decision, it overturned the lower court in California's um, decision. And, uh, yeah, so it was really, uh, good. Before we get into
1: the next one, there was a decision that struck down the Montana Blaine amendment, which barred any state aid to any church, school, academy, seminary, college, university, or other literary or scientific institution controlled in whole or part by any church, sect, or denomination. That's was kind of the, descri- the description of it. Before we talk about that, can you... Talk a little bit about Blaine amendments, and in your statement, you said that they're mostly anti-Catholic.
2: Yeah, and you know, 37 states have Blaine amendments. Mm-hmm. The Blaine amendments, back in the 19th century, uh, they're named for um, a congressman by the name of James Blaine. He was a congressman from Maine back in 1875. He tried to have uh, the U.S. Constitution prohibit the use of public funds for sectarian schools, and um, He was unsuccessful on the federal level, but all these states adopted the same kind of amendments prohibiting the use of public funds Mm -hmm. for sectarian schools. Well, why was he trying to do this? Um, It was based on anti-Catholic bigotry. That's the origin of the Blaine Amendments. There was a lot of nativism, a lot of anti-immigrant uh, sentiment. So with this large immigration of Catholics to the United States in the 19th century, especially from you know Germany, then Ireland, later Eastern Europe and Italy, but a lot of this was at the time of a very large Irish immigration, it was clear that that was the motivation. So what happened, you have all these states like Montana, by the way, with Blaine Amendment here in Indiana, too. Um, So we have in Montana, that's the case that recently went to the Supreme Court. What basically happened is Montana had a state scholarship aid program. And in that program, which was uh, offering financial assistance to, to private schools, it said, but not religious schools. They barred religious schools from public benefits because they're religious. Mm-hmm. You know, really it uh, barred parents who wished to, to, who wanted to send their children to a religious school from the same benefits that other parents could get if they sent them to a, a non-religious um, private school truly discrimination, Um, but they relied on their Blaine Amendment that's there in Montana. And the Montana Supreme Court is the one that uh, invalidated the school scholarship program because the school scholarship program would provide funding to both religious and secular schools. So in in the end, uh, the Supreme Court of the United States ruled five to four, that the exclusion of religious schools in this scholarship aid program violated the federal constitution. So that's a big win for us. Um, Basically the the majority, the five justice majority ruled correctly that the Montana Supreme Court violated the First Amendment. Mm -hmm. The First Amendment's free exercise guarantee when it struck down a tax credit program that provided tuition assistance to parents who send their kids to private schools So anyhow, good news for Catholic schools in this uh, session of the the Supreme Court. Yeah.
1: And this is just a good reminder for us to be praying for our government leaders, praying for the Supreme Court, because they do have a lot of influence over how people live their lives, how religious institutions are treated, how we are able to express our religious faith. And so uh, we do need to keep... Those
2: people in our prayers. Yeah. You know, one thing I've found really interesting in their oral arguments, both Justice Brett Kavanaugh and Justice Samuel Alito highlighted the anti-Catholic origins of state Blaine amendments Mm -hmm. like the one in Montana. And Justice Alito even included an 1871 political cartoon from the magazine Harper's Weekly to show... The bigotry towards Catholics at that time in the cartoon depicts priests as crocodiles slithering toward children in the United States as I think actually bishops as a public school crumbles in the background. Yeah. So, I mean, this was really, uh, really bad. And I think it's important that we know our history here, that these state Blaine Amendments, they all should be declared unconstitutional. Hmm. You know, this would have major implications for tax credit, scholarship programs, school choice, all Mm -hmm. of that. All right. Well, if you have any questions for Bishop, you can go to RedeemerRadio.com
1: slash askbishop, submit your question there, as well as look at past episodes of the show. You can scroll through them, and you might want to listen to that June 24th episode about more Supreme Court decisions. Uh, But you can also text the Holy Cross College text line at 260 436 9598. And coming up, we've got a question about giving a lot of time to a few people or a little time to a bunch of people. Also, if we should capitalize pronouns for God and more. Coming up here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman asking questions that you've submitted for Bishop to respond to. Jason Wardwell from St. Elizabeth Ann Seton Parish in Fort Wayne said, as I think about how best to give my time, talent, and treasure, I wonder whether it's best to give a little to a lot of people where your investment may not make much of a meaningful lifelong impact, but you make small positive impacts on lots of people, or instead, perhaps invest more into a single person perhaps as a long-term mentor where you could make a meaningful and eternal impact. I realize it's probably another example of not either or, but both and, but would appreciate your thoughts and comments on this. We appreciate you and
2: all you do for our diocese. Thanks, Jason. That's a really good question. Um, I think I agree with you. It's not either, or it's both and, Mm -hmm. and I know he's, he's looking at this in terms of how you, give of your time, talent, and treasure. Maybe I could use treasure as an example and just how I look at it. On the one hand, you know, we support our parishes, we support the diocese through the Bishop's Appeal, other charities. There's various second collections, special collections throughout the year for Mm -hmm. Catholic Relief Services and for the missions and all of that. So in that sense, I do think it's, it's important to spread out our giving. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's giving a little to a lot basically as Jason said. Yeah. But it's both and because there might be one or two particular charities that we want to give even greater support to have the greater impact mm-hmm. that Jason's talking about. For example, I know people who just are very committed to the pro-life cause and to our women's care centers. So that becomes a principal charity and they would give a larger amount to that. Or it could be anything else. It could be Redeemer Radio. Mm -hmm. It could be for the education of our seminarians. Um, Oftentimes when you look at that, people who are preparing their will, you know, planned giving, it's Mm -hmm. good to, you know, we'll find people who maybe leave their whole inheritance their whole uh, all their money t- and property to maybe one organization that they're very enthusiastic about mm-hmm. it may be their parish um, right. others there might be two or three that they do their their local Catholic high school or or whatever but it's really left to the individual there's no right or wrong answer and I think what I just said using treasure as an example could also be applied to one's time and talent. Mm -hmm. Um, I think with time and talent, I mean, if you're involved in too much service in a sense of too many different organizations, you can't do as good a job because you've diffused your time and energy too much. So when it comes to that, I think, even though you may want to support a lot, you may not have the time or the necessary talents for some things that you want to support, so you have to prioritize. You mm-hmm. have to decide. Okay, uh, I mean, for example, I ask people to serve, let's say, on a diocesan committee or a diocesan board, and they might say to me, "Bishop, I'm also an, I, I, I'm doing this for my parish, I'm doing this for the school, and I'm doing this for the Saint Vincent de Paul Society," and they say, "Well, I, I can't get spread too thin." Right. And I say, "Oh, I understand that," and then I'll say, "Don't worry about it," or you know, try to help them to prioritize a little bit if they want that help. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think we all have to do that. I mean, I have to do that with my own time. Um, You know, I get so many invitations and I have to discern, um, you know, how how am I going to spend the time? For example, I had to limit a lot of or decline a lot of invitations this summer because I prioritized... Uh, doing the confirmations Mm -hmm. throughout the diocese. Now, some bishops decided to delegate the local priests to do confirmations because they were postponed from Mm -hmm. the spring because of the pandemic. Well, I had to say, okay, what is most important in the use of my time? Mm -hmm. Well as ordinary minister of the sacrament of confirmation, I really want to administer confirmation personally Mm -hmm. to our young people. I think it's important that the bishop be connected with the youth, but I also think it's important that I be out in the parishes and, you know, getting around the diocese because we were limited for several months due to the shutdown the with the pandemic. But in making that choice that I'm going to do all of the confirmations myself and not delegate priests, then I couldn't do any other stuff. Mm -hmm. And I had to decline. For example, normally I like to install the new pastors, but it's impossible to do that. We have several new pastors. It's impossible to do that on my calendar because I'm doing all these confirmations. Mm -hmm. And so therefore Father Mark Gertner and our vicars will install the new pastors. So we all have to kind of make decisions like that. And I, you know, I think it's good to to make those decisions prudently and prayerfully, you know, and, um, there's no right or wrong answer. It's just, you know, making a discerning judgment. All right. Another listener asked, when I use pronouns for God,
1: like he or him or his, I capitalize the H, but I notice my Bible
2: does not capitalize pronouns for God. What should I do? <laughs> Good question. I do the same thing. Okay. I capitalize pronouns for God, uh-huh. like he or him or his. I capitalize the H. But... If you read the – and I forget what it's called – the guidelines for – in journalism or for newspapers, et cetera, they they have guidelines on when you capitalize, and they don't capitalize. Even in Catholic uh, periodicals and newspapers, they don't capitalize the pronoun. Hmm. So if you look at um, articles from Catholic News Service that are printed, for example, in today's Catholic, they will not have the pronoun capitalized. But if you look at my – when I have a column, you'll see it capitalized, so I'm kind of violating the, yeah. <laughs> the standard, but I, I think it's good to capitalize, Sure. yeah.
1: All right, well, if you have questions, you can go to redeemerradio.com slash askbishop. Submit your question there. You can text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And coming up, we have questions about worry. What programs Bishop recommends for those in professional ministry, and more here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our Bishop. I'll be asking the questions that you've submitted for Bishop to answer, like. Is there a Catholic response to worry and anxiety?
2: Yes. And of course, I, I have talked about that on this program before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I talked about how, especially about prayer, prayer is a great way to uh, to reduce anxiety and worry. There's that, uh, the words of Jesus in Matthew's gospel at the Sermon on the Mount about not worrying. Mm-hmm. Uh, to trust the Heavenly Father takes care of us, like the lilies of the field or the birds of the air. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it was Padre Pio, St. Padre Pio, who had that famous thing, don't worry, pray, don't worry, pray. Pray, hope, and don't worry? Yes, that's right. Thank you. But, I mean, I, I don't mean to be too simplistic, but it works. I mean, it really helps to put ourselves in the presence of God, to rest with the Lord in our homes or in our, our churches, chapels, and I know when I pray, because there's a lot of things on my mind or a lot of you know, challenges that we're dealing with or whatever, I just find it helpful to just hand that over to God when I pray, especially at the beginning of prayer, so I'm not distracted too much by mm. my own thoughts or worries. Right. And there's a sense of peace that can come over us when we have that trust in the Lord and hand everything in. You know, we can say, Lord, I, I, I'm, I'm dealing with this problem in my family. I don't know what to do, uh, to just say, Lord, I, I give this to you. And, mm-hmm. uh, I, I lay it in your hands. You know, you can ask for the Holy Spirit's guidance in in dealing with the problem, but to just surrender ourselves uh, with confidence that the Lord is in charge and the Lord is with us and He's at our side. We can't solve every problem that comes our way, but it does no good for us mentally, spiritually, physically to worry excessively. Worry or be filled with anxiety because sometimes there are things beyond our control. Mm-hmm. You know, you worry, say a parent worrying about a, a child who's on the wrong path, mm-hmm. you know, and the parent's trying to do everything he or she can to get them back on the right path and maybe it's not working or whatever, maybe their child is a young adult. In the end, you kind of have to surrender and say, Lord, please protect my son or Lord, please protect my daughter. I'm not saying that it takes away all worry yeah. and anxiety, but in a sense, it it recognizes that that we're not in charge, that mm-hmm. we can't control everything. So there might be sadness that we just have to bear. So and I hope help, that's helpful. And not worrying doesn't mean that we don't care. Right,
1: right. About it. Yeah, yeah. But I, I suppose also on the other side of the, that there's... Different chemical things and maybe medication would help with anxiety
2: and and worry if it's it's a a medical thing. Oh, exactly. I mean, there's, um, yeah, if a person is continually plagued by this and is having difficulty, yeah, there's a a neurological element Mm -hmm. in this, just like with depression and there are medications. So to get professional help, if it reaches that level, I think one should never be ashamed of seeking that kind of help. It might just take the edge off, mm-hmm. or whatever, a particular medication. Maybe some counseling or therapy might help as well. Right. I mean, I, oftentimes, I you know, when I've talked to uh, mental health professionals, um, you know, you could do the route of of counseling, mm-hmm. where which could be really helpful to have someone to talk to and and someone who could give some guidance. Uh, psychotherapy, cognitive therapy, is very helpful for some people. And sometimes, though, medication can be helpful, or mm-hmm. a combination of the two. Um, you know, they, they have that whole thing in psychology of what they call mindfulness, which is a way to help with stress and anxiety, mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily centered on Christ. But for us, that is, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that's, um, that's where meditation and and contemplation can come in. Other people, you know, there's other practical things, physical exercise, going for walks, going for runs, going hiking. There's all kinds of evidence how that reduces stress and anxiety. All right. Our next listener submitted question,
1: are there degrees or programs you would recommend for those in a professional evangelization
2: role? Yeah, I mean, I think those in a professional evangelization role should have some uh, background in theology you know here in our diocese for example we have a lot of people who get their master of arts in theology degree at the university of notre dame most of our high school religion teachers but even beyond some grade school teachers also our campus ministers and they're in professional evangelization roles and oftentimes when we're when we're hiring we look for people that that have also that academic background mm-hmm. we receive some support from osv for those who are going to be teaching in our Catholic schools, especially in high schools, so that they can get the MA in Theology from Notre Dame, and it's an excellent program. We also have some who go through the program at the Franciscan University in Steubenville or um, Ave Maria University, there's various Catholic universities where they have strong theology departments, and even with that kind of evangelization emphasis in a, a specialization, at Steubenville, for example, they have a particular degree in, in catechesis. And some of these, I think, are online programs. So for some people, if you can't go in person, you could. there's places that have good online programs. But you want to make sure it's a good program, solid, and you just don't want to sign up for anything. But here in our diocese, I would say... We have a number of graduates from these special programs in theology or catechesis at Notre Dame, at Steubenville, a few from Ave Maria. I'm trying to think. I'm missing—I uh, think we have a couple from Christendom and Catholic University of America. Hmm. So, yeah, I, I would I would recommend it. I especially recommend a master's level program or a certificate. If some places, you know, they could get it like the Augustine Institute. I think actually Augustine okay, Institute yeah. now has— the Uh, an accredited MA program. I should mention them. They're excellent. Uh Uh, I especially like some of their biblical scholars. And I think that program at Augustine Institute uh, is online. All right. Finally, last question. What is your favorite beach? I think I've said here before how I'm starting to like the Indiana lakes, but Uh it still isn't the same you know, being from the East Coast of going to the ocean, right? <laughs> uh, I kind of like the beaches at the ocean. Uh-huh. I have to kid about this, but growing up, we always would go to either uh, a beach in New Jersey or Ocean City, Maryland. You know, those were big things for people from Pennsylvania, and I okay. used to love it. Uh, How going, far was that? Going for you? to the Jersey Beach? It's about three hours. Okay, yeah, to drive. But it's funny I, they're not my favorite beaches anymore yeah <laughs> because the water's too cold and it's so uh, right, funny right. I guess when we get older yeah do you I mean oh, I'm, I, I'm a chicken when it comes to cold water oh, so I mean, yeah yeah I mean I got my kids will swim in anything it yeah. doesn't matter oh man and uh so now I I, I kind of prefer going to the southern states uh, my family and I would do a summer vacation a lot at Myrtle Beach South Carolina this is more recent years not with my parents is after my Uh, my mom died and then my dad died. So, but with my sister and her family, we, we went many times to Myrtle beach Uh and that's kind of, I always like that beach in South Carolina. Um, there's also a lot of activities. So like in the evening, there's a lot of things to do and Uh all that. So it's a lot of fun and the water's warm. Uh, and then of course, Florida, the Florida beaches too, um, you know, I've been to the beach on the Gulf Coast. Like I'm on the board of Ave Maria University. Right. If I have a meeting down there, I'll usually try to add a date so I can go to the beach. Yeah. Um, and that's the Gulf side. But I've been on the Atlantic side, too, down there. I can't remember what particular beach is. It's been a while. But I kind of miss, miss going to the ocean because I don't have that many opportunities anymore sure. <laughs> to get to the ocean. But there's something about the waves and riding waves and all that. and you know every now and then like at new jersey i remember the only downside is jellyfish have you ever been stung i have not no yeah it's bad i've been yeah. stung yeah um i've never encountered a shark oh, that's uh, good but uh yeah it's uh so they're asking my favorite beach i don't have one one particular beach i would just say south of virginia okay <laughs>
1: <laughs> what about so Atlantic versus Gulf, do you prefer sunrise or sunset on the beach?
2: Oh, I never thought about that. I, I'd probably say sunset because I wouldn't be up for the sunrise. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you're on vacation. Uh, you're yeah, on exactly. Yeah. When I'm on vacation,
2: Sleep I'm not getting up <laughs> early. <laughs> Good. <laughs> All
1: right. Well, thank you so much, Bishop, for another great episode. Could we get your Episcopal blessing before we go? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit.
2: Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle.
0: On our next episode, Bishop talks about loving our neighbor. Times are tense, and we are called to rise above it all. But how? Especially when our neighbor strongly disagrees with us. Then Bishop answers more listener-submitted questions. To submit your question, go to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. While you're there, check out our episode archive. There's about 150 episodes to choose from. And then share a favorite with a friend. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.